Welcome back to Back in My Play. This is episode number 55, and I have a super special episode for you guys this time. And I have a special guest as well, um, Wesley Allman. Wes, how are you doing? Doing great, man. Glad to be here. So I've been in contact with you for the last couple of weeks, and um, it's because I stumbled upon your website, retrofixes.com. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't even that. It was a YouTube video um, when I was researching like AV modded Famicoms. Right. Yeah. The uh, YouTube videos are pretty new. So glad you found those. So I want to give people a brief breakdown on what you do, and I want you to fill in the gaps. All right. Sure. So, um, you know, at retrofixes.com, you know, what you do is you allow people to submit kind of like their old hardware and you can modify it and kind of get it you know, up to date as much as possible to allow people to hook this stuff up to modern televisions. Also, right. I mean, we're talking, let's talk about the Famicom. That's what are we talking? 32 years old now, that hardware. So, yeah. um, I mean, those things break down, they need to be refurbished. They turn yellow. <laughs> so absolutely. Um, you, you got to kind of literally refurbish that stuff. And also, as I was mentioning before, you know, something like the Famicom originally just had RF out. So you are modding these things to allow for composite, uh, and dual mono output, and then also cleaning these things up and, you know, making sure it's something that you can actually be proud of and not have it look like, uh, you know, like the gross yellow Famicoms that can yeah. kind of show up in Akihabara. So, um, let's, let's kind of just start off talking about like how you got into this stuff and, and what you're doing over at retrofixes.com. Mm. I mean, in the beginning, I have a long history of collecting and fixing vintage items. Mm-hmm. You know, some of my earliest memories is going to thrift stores and trade lots and things like that. I was just always a collector and a fixer. Hmm. And even my grandmother back in the day, she worked for GE. And I remember her watching her watching her when I was like four years old. And she was soldering radios and stuff like that. Oh, wow. And yeah, my dad was a mechanic. So I was just surrounded by people and tools. Mm-hmm. And they had the mentality of, you know, fix it, don't buy a new one. And that just kind of stuck with me. Cool. Um, and as far as repairing consoles and really getting into that, I started that when I was about 18, and that was 1995. Wow, okay. So, yeah, I'm 36. So the world was a little different back then. Like I had AOL and I had <laughs> dial-up, and I was really big into eBay too, and eBay was like a year old. Yeah, oh, you, you, got, you got in when it was good. I did, oh, and man. you know, most people thought it was a scam back then. It was really funny. I remember telling a few people what I was doing, and they were like, oh, that, that sounds like a scam. They're going to you know, take your money. And I was like, no, it's legit. You know, we buy and sell things. Everything's good. And uh, yeah, you know, so I was buying Nintendos and Ataris and fixing them and selling them and collecting them. And I was also documenting all this information, and there wasn't a lot back then. So I was taking all the repair information and my old notes, and I was taking photos, mm-hmm. and I stored this stuff for probably 20 years before I started putting putting it into a blog format. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I still have a huge backlog that you know I'll be putting online. Um, it was actually my friend's suggestion, you know, skip ahead 20 years, around 2006 or so, my friend's coming over to play the Wii. Mm-hmm. And he expected the Wii to look like anyone else's Wii. But he comes over, and mine looks like a bird nest of <laughs> wires, and it's got an external hard drive hooked up to it. Mm-hmm. And the hard drive didn't even have an external shell. It was just exposed circuits, and it was plugged into a projector. And it just really kind of took him by surprise. And he was like, wow, man, you really should start a blog and start sharing these projects. Yeah. And 
at first I was like, no, you know, I don't think I'm going to do that. I have other stuff to work on. I procrastinated for a few more years, and then eventually, you know, I sat on one day and started the site. I guess the rest is history. Yeah, so so what I wanted to kind of, you know, position this episode for everyone is like, you know, if you're listening to Back in My Play, you're more likely than not to actually have this old hardware because, yeah. you know, you want to have like the physical thing. It's not really the same when you download it on a virtual console or you play it, you know, no. even worse on an emulator. So, um, and that's illegal, guys. Don't do it. So, um, you know, what I want to kind of position this as for, for people out there is like this episode is going to be about tips that you can, you know, implement to make sure that you can keep your hardware up and running, you know, for the rest of your lifetime. And right. um, also, you know, here are some options in case you want to upgrade that hardware and just kind of implement some of the, you know, mm-hmm. the bonuses that are inside, like they're on the boards, but they just never put the outputs on the consoles because hell, like who, we didn't have really the, the need for this stuff back in 1985, but, um, yeah, we're, we're, yeah, I was, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was heart happy with RF connection back in the eighties, but <laughs> right. now it's like the worst thing ever. And you know, these, these consoles have the ability to output, you know, amazing graphics. I mean, mm-hmm. within there, but it's just being throttled back by whatever connector they opted for back in the day. Yeah, and even if you, you, I mean, there's some consoles like I know you have. Uh, I, I mean, I talked to Greg Stewart a lot. He's a big Genesis guy, and uh, like I've always wanted to get into Game Gear stuff, but I, yeah. I went on Craigslist and I picked up a Game Gear, and of course. I'm like, man, I'm putting in, first off, the speaker doesn't work. I put in my headphones, like barely one channel of audio works. What what the heck is going on? I go online and then I, I read, oh, I didn't realize that like the, the audio hardware or whatever, the board, you know, breaks on all these game gears and you get yeah, cap and stuff like that. So, and that's like, like what you're doing. Like you couldn't, if, if you're, if you're kind of like me and you're just like, all right, I don't even want to worry about this. I don't want to pull out a soldering iron. You can basically go to Wes's website and just like buy a pre refurbished, whether it be like an AV modded Famicom or, um, you know, a game gear, whatever you have in stock at the time. Um, but you can also even, if you want to do this stuff at home, you have the parts on there and the guides to do it as well. So if you want to pull out that soldering iron, you can do it too. Right. Yeah. There's some information on there on how to do some of this stuff at home. Uh, occasionally I'll have, you know, pre-modified restored consoles for sale. Um, most often people are sending stuff in to be fixed. Um, cause the Sega game gear, you know, there's a lot of tutorials and I think sometimes they make it look easier than it really is. It, it's a delicate, those capacitors are really small on that mm-hmm. board. And uh, it's really easy to rip some pads off. So luckily, it's a cheap console. I mean, you can get a broken Game Gear for, you know, what, $10? Yeah, nothing. Yeah. So it's a low risk. So if you want to start something like that, you know, you could. But, you know, be careful. Don't start with a Turbo Express. Don't do that. God, yeah. Oh, man. PC Engine stuff and yeah. Turbo Express, Turbo, Turbo Duo is just a, just a mess. Yeah, and that's the problem. It's like, you know, there's you'll have your piece of hardware like – the NES, where most of the time it's just like, all right, you got to replace the 72-pin adapter. And even like the third-party stuff that's out there today, those 72-pin adapters suck. I so, know. Like, Such a bummer. You're going to replace it every six months. Um, it, but at least the hardware still works. And like same thing like a Super Nintendo, you know, the hardware is still going to work, but maybe you're going to want to you know, upgrade it and not go – like at home, I have a like a Frame Meister, which – Mm-hmm. adds you know it upscales it it adds scan lines and does a really good job processing that video before it throws it onto an hd monitor but um you know you might want not want to invest 300 dollars into a frame meister if all you want to do is play super nintendo games or 
yeah. you know, uh, Nintendo games on it. Yeah, there's so many different options. It's like the high end would be RGB mods connected to a Frame Meister connected to your HDTV. That's mm-hmm. going to get you know grade A video quality. But you know, on the lower end, yeah, just get rid of the RF video and bump up to composite. I mean, that's really that's the beginning place there. Uh, just to nudge up that video quality. So, yeah, like we were talking off air, but there's just so many different directions we can go with this. So I'm going to try to do my best to organize. And um, let's well, let's talk about this. So I, I, you know, I found the website and I ended up ordering um, an AV modded Famicom from you because. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was like looking like online and actually I found your, like your listings, um, online too. And I was just like, yeah, you know, like who's, who's going to be the best seller to go to. And like, I went to your website and like, it's not like you don't just like modify them and just like, it's done. You clean the hardware, you do the modification, you know, as perfectly as possible because one of the common things with these modded, uh, like old Famicoms with the AV mod is that they have like the gel bar effect. Yeah. Um, and so, so what happens with that? And, and how do you, how do you kind of, you know, what, what's going on there? Yeah, I've just, you know, I've always been the kind of guy who goes above and beyond with the repairs. I really, mm. I like them to look clean too. I want them to look as they did, you know, in 1985, if possible. So cleaning the cases is always goes hand in hand with the mods and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And the thing that I've always tried to do with all of these modifications is, you know, modification with a balance of preserving the case, mm-hmm. preservation. And what I noticed with a lot of modders back in the day, and even a lot of them now, is they don't seem to have any respect with the original design. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to kind of have the new ports or whatever on the rear side <laughs> kind of hidden and not really loud. Not poking I mean, out the side, like yeah. uh, some of the ones on eBay, they're just like poking out the side of the console and like, man, mm-hmm. you couldn't just make it a little bit more elegant? I know. <laughs> And for some people, that's fine, and some people don't care. You know, if you're practicing at home, it's it's easier to do it that way. But it's just like, it, just in terms of, like, spacing, if you threw that on a table, then you're going to have wires sticking out the side of it. It's yeah. just more like it's less room for your, you know, table space or whatever, and more likely for you to trip over that stuff walking by it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the mod work, like, that's a lot of the business I get, too, is people will send in consoles that have been either modded by themselves or someone else, and it's not working correctly. Mm-hmm. And I have a video of this, too, and I open the thing up, and it's just a mess in there. They're using hot glue, <laughs> and I don't know what's going on. It's amazing that it works at all, but you know, I remove all that, mm-hmm. put in a clean mod, start over. And I, I also try to mod these things to where if down the road you want to go RGB or you want to do something different, it's modded in a way that it's reversible and nothing's been broken. Um, you know, we can take a step back and, uh, sorry, drawing a blank here. Yeah, no, well, like, like I said, that's the, I, I got the, the AV modded Famicom from you. And first off, you know, it's, it's, you know, not the, I hate to use this word, but like the piss yellow that you kind of see from a lot of Famicoms at, at this yeah. point, it's hard to find a really nice looking one. And, the problem that, you know, some sellers, uh, I mean, they do this out in Japan is they'll actually repaint the Famicom. I know. I hate that. I wish they didn't do that. So, and it, and it's not like, it's blatant. Like, you can, you can tell, like, man, this isn't, it just looks like, like almost uh, overly bright uh, in terms of, like, the white. And it doesn't look like a, a white Famicom. So, um, you know, first off, that's the first thing that you do. You, you put in that, that AV mod. You clean everything up. You make sure... 
it's a common thing with the um, original Famicoms is there's there's a mic on the second controller. Oh, yeah. That can cause like a hissing sound and, you know, bad audio, which is if you like video game music and you want to hear, you know, those sound effects clearly, uh, that is going to be um, a big problem. So what you end up doing is you put a like a 3.5 millimeter jack um, output on the back after you do the mod. So all you mm-hmm. have is, you know, clean like AV cables, cables that, you know, if you even lose them, like they cost like, you know, five bucks on uh, Amazon or something like that to pick up new ones. Yeah. Um, it's like a standard, like old camcorder composite output or whatever. So yeah, I have tons of these on hand. And mm-hmm. what I like about that too, is that port, I try to use the uh, pre-existing RF hole. Yeah. Like usually there, that hole's there. So when I take out the RF box, I can uh, put that 3.5 connector in there mm-hmm. and we don't have to drill the case. So I always try to, you know, be conservative with when I have to drill holes. I try to do it as, as least as possible. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's when when I got that, I got to, to check it out. I'm like, oh, my God, this thing's like super cl- – like it's super clean. Like it looks yeah. awesome. And uh, not only that, but like I compared it to – and I hope you don't mind. I compared it in contrast to uh, this uh, other AV modded Famicom that I got from – Amazon Japan and like right off the bat you can notice the difference because you can still see like those faint jail bars on the ah. one I bought in Japan. Um, Good to know. Yeah, because uh, there's an extra step with the Famicom in order to reduce those jail bars. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean you can look online and there's some forums that have been discussing this problem for like 10 years mm-hmm. and the thread has, you know, 500 replies. They've tried many different things and uh, yeah, I try to filter that out. I have a technique on Famicoms to try to reduce those gel bars. And uh, once that's done, the video quality is really nice on the on the original. Oh, it, it, it looks awesome. And it's just, um, you know, I have an AV Famicom, which is like the, the top loader that we got in the States here. But obviously the in Japan, they just and this is one of the weirdest things ever. They decided to have like the like the same AV output that Super Nintendo's had and like uh-huh. N64s. Uh, but for some reason in the States, they decided, you know, RF is okay for those guys. I know. Um, so strange. So strange well, that they the, chose to do that. The only thing that I can line it up with is that, like, it was sold for about 80 bucks in Japan versus $50 in the States. So Ooh. it might have just been, like, a, you know, a cost-cutting thing so they could, you know, sell a $50 console um, in the United States while the Super Nintendo was out, like, in 93. So it's, like, two years into the Super Nintendo's life. Um, yeah, that's probably accurate. And I guess they would have to supply a new cable yeah. uh, with the American systems, too, because that cable wasn't really a standard yet. No, you get cost-cutting. Nintendo's yeah, good at that stuff. Look at any they of their are. consoles. <laughs> um, yeah, it gives them an advantage, but you know, it also gives them a disadvantage sometimes. For sure, for sure. Um, so, you know, it's just, you know, again, really cool. Like, even though I have one of those AV Famicoms, just to have like a real, like a real original Famicom that I can hook up and have it look awesome. And um, it's just, it's just, it's a really awesome system. Like, it was designed to be as cheap as humanly possible when they put it out. Um, but I just really love the look of the Famicom, like the two it controller did. slots on each side. Um, and just like, even if you like you, depending on who you believe, like the colors that they picked for the plastics and stuff like that were supposedly like the just two cheapest plastics they could get were the red and the white. And probably. Um, probably. But um, it just, you know, it works. It's like a classic uh, I, you know, piece. Yeah, I, I love the way it looks. I really do. And the, the holsters on the side for the controllers, that's so clever. I wish the controllers were a little longer. I mean, we're stuck <laughs> with uh, three feet. Um, but, you know, it's okay. It seems like six inches. 
Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't it really, really does. seem like three feet on those. I know. Um, yeah, so now um, you know I have those two two AV Famicoms. Yours is definitely my. It's like the. It's my go-to. I have my backup. Just in, I don't know why I would need a backup, but you know I'm not going to yeah. ship it back to Japan. <laughs> so right, um, going to keep that up on the shelf. So um, you know that's the first thing. Like if you want to get into Famicom stuff, and I've uh, talked about this a lot on the show, it's just for so many games, it's way cheaper to get the Famicom version of that cart. And if you want to actually yeah. have the cart and not just like again use like one of those multi carts or like a um, I'm blanking on the EverDrives and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you might just want to get like a really nice looking Famicom and play that stuff through there where it's going to look great and you know it's going to run perfectly. Um, and there's so many games that came out in Japan that just have lots of differences, like obviously Contra that has like yeah. it's twice the, you know, the size of the, the carts, twice the size in terms of the storage. So they have animation on the backgrounds and the, the music is a little bit better um, or even the other notable uh, one is Castlevania three. So mm-hmm, that's a big one. Yeah. I, I love Contra on the uh, Famicom. It's got the cutscenes and yeah. it has a little backstory there if it's translated and uh, just kind of gives you an idea of why they're shooting people. What's going on? And, and Famicom carts are just badass. Like they just look, yeah. like they're just like, I'm looking at my shelf of like 60 games and it's just like, they look way better. They take Colors. less space. They're colored. Yeah. Um, and the, the box art is almost always like, just compare the, the art on the Rockman and Mega Man games. And yeah, Rockman's great. Yeah. It's like, and they did a lot of translucent cases too. Like I have uh Salamander. Remember the game? Yeah. Salamander. There you go. Translucent case with mm-hmm. the, uh, sticker on there it looks so cool mm-hmm. and uh you know there's also games like uh uh larange point where they can make just gigantic carts and put in extra sound chips where mm. uh you know the you know in the u.s like they just did not allow you to use those extra sound chips a lot of the times in the the nes games that's why we didn't get that extra chip that's in drag uh, castlevania 3 and that wasn't brought over here it's so amazing. Like, I had no clue this stuff was going on in the 80s. I just thought right. the, the Nintendo existed and that's all there was. Like, I had no clue that there was tons of unreleased games and that there was, you know, hidden sound channels. And, you know, I never saw the Famicom. Well, I never I, saw that back in the day. I mean, this is, uh, you know, episodes that are coming up in the next couple of weeks. But, um, you know, partially thanks to uh, donations from the audience, I was able to get a copy of Gimmick, which is now, like, super expensive yeah that's uh, a cool game oh it's it, it is awesome just to hear like how amazing that game sounds and you know making sure you know this is another reason why if, if you're going to go and get one of these consoles make sure you go to you know something like retrofixes.com because if like gimmick has awesome music and the last thing that you want is like lots of you know distortions and static in the audio channels when you hook oh, yeah. that thing up um and and you do just like a great job of cleaning that because also that's another thing famicoms are just known for just having kind of bad audio uh, because of you know their i guess their age and just how they output yeah most of the ones that i get in you know before they're restored they, they seem to be a little you know beat up internally i don't know what mm-hmm. happened where they were stored but uh they need a little work and what you were mentioning earlier about that microphone, that causes a lot of problems. And, and most people don't even notice that it's coming from the mic. But even when that thing's turned off, it's causing static and humming and just degrades the audio a lot. So that, that's kind of that's how I got connected with Wes. And I was like, yeah, maybe maybe we should kind of talk about this stuff because there's these consoles are a lot of them are turning 30 
plus years of age. And, yeah. um, you know, how are we going to be able to keep this stuff going? So, um, I, I guess the first question that I would have for you is what's the most common issue that you're going to see in like the NES hardware today? And, uh, you know, what should people be doing to make sure that they're, they're keeping these things up and running? What are the, the requests that you get? Well, I would say the most common problem with Nintendo um, you know, the first one would be the 72 pin connector. Most people mm. are familiar with that. Outside of that, you know, on some of the consoles, the capacitors are starting to go. Mm-hmm. And usually the beginning sign is interference in the video. It may not be that apparent, but you may see some lines or some waves. Mm-hmm. Um, generic power adapters will usually cause this issue. Uh, failing official power adapters will cause this, this issue. And also, mm-hmm. like I said, the bad capacitors. So when you start seeing interference in the screen, you might want to, you know, ask some questions, look around, contact me, and uh, see if it's worth fixing. And not to jump in, like, real quick, but that yeah. is something that uh, the one from Japan came with a third-party connector. And yeah. the the video was all messed up. I'm like, what the hell's going on with the video? And then, like, I thought it was something wrong with the system. Like, I'm messing around with the, the connector in the back. I'm like, is it the connector? And then... Um, like literally at the same time, I guess I was emailing you. I'm like, do you, do you know what the hell's going on? And right. we kind of both came to the conclusion at the same time. Oh, it's probably the AC adapter because I'm like, I have this box of, you know, Japanese, you know, Famicom adapters from all the, the hardware that I have and, um, just swapped it out and it's, oh, it's perfect. Yeah. Oh. And, and the third party adapters, I mean, they work in a pinch. They're pretty cheap. Yeah. Um, and on some consoles I haven't noticed an issue, mm-hmm. but sometimes they cause some really weird problems. And, uh, yeah, that's usually the first troubleshooting tip. Is like, are you using a generic adapter? Get rid of it. Find an official and uh, see what happens. Um, how about let's talk a little bit about? I'm guessing the, the, this is like the biggest request that you're getting these days is for the the RGB mod for yes. uh, you know the top loading, whether it's the top loading NES or for uh, AV Famicoms um, and I know, I'm curious, you know, what your thoughts are on that because I remember. Like I used to collect arcade machines, and I know people were kind of um, stealing organs out of those uh, I know. Th- those Play Choice tens to allow for the RGB output on these these consoles. So, um, where are people out with that, and, and what's that process like? Yeah, I definitely get a lot of RGB mods uh, and requests coming in. And yeah, the early days they were pulling the processor from the Play Choice Ten arcade. Oh, it hurts me, man! Oh, it, that it hurts hurt so it, bad. You know, it hurt me too. And I was—I never really took part in that. I just, you know, I was like, you know, I think there's going to be a better way down the road. Mm-hmm. And now there is. We got Tim in Australia uh, producing the NES RGB board, mm-hmm. and what that does is allows us to use the original PPU within the NES, and uh, we don't have to sacrifice the Play Choice Tens for RGB quality. Beautiful. But, it's like uh, it's like creating an artificial heart. Yeah. And he he's a great guy and does really clean work too. I know. So, so what's I mean um in term what do we what do we get in when we uh make this investment for the the RGB mod because um you know for for some of these older consoles like the Super Nintendo um, not the N64, but the Super Nintendo and like a Sega Saturn, you know, you can always get like a SCART cable to get, you know, a good RGB signal out of it. But there's nothing like that for the, the NES. So, you know, how much better is, is the picture? What kind of, uh, what kind of like, I guess, additional mods do you do with RGB mod? Uh, RGB on the NES, honestly, the first time 
I installed one and plugged it into my Sony PVM monitor, mm-hmm. which is a dedicated RGB CRT. I was blown away. I, I think I went back and replayed all of my favorite games again, and <laughs> it just seemed new. It, everything just had a new look to it. It makes um, that big of a difference even on a CRT? Yeah, it does on the uh, PVM monitor, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, compared to composite, it's it's night and day. It is to me. I mean, maybe to others, they may not see that much of a difference, but you know, if you really love your games and you're kind of used to the way they look on composite, yeah, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll see a difference. It almost gives it a kind of a third dimension look, especially on the parallax scrolling backgrounds and stuff like that. Well, looks really good. Help, help me out because I know, I know also, like I said, I don't want to talk about kind of the, the mods that you do on top of that or along with it. Um, I know there's like a, a color palette switching thing. What's, oh, yeah. what's that all about? Um, with the RGB board, you have the option to install this color palette switch and it mm-hmm. has three selections. Uh, one is natural and it's trying to emulate the natural color palette of the NES the other one kind of replicates what the Play Choice 10 PPU did. Okay. And the other selection is just more of a saturation. Um, it's just three options, and people love them. Um, yeah. The pe- sorry, the, the Play Choice, that one had a lot of people complained about the color output on that. It didn't quite match the original NES uh, palette selection. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, he did emulate that in the NES RGB board. So if you want that Play Choice look, you can flip a switch and and view it that's not because um I'm, I'm trying to think about like i owned multiple play choice tens like at one point i had two of them side wow. by side and i'm trying to think like playing through like super mario brothers 3 I, I guess i never really noticed the difference but also you got to keep in mind like on the back of that monitor you're messing around with the color so much maybe i just kind of you know adjusted the monitor so much that uh it kind of looked a little bit more like a like an NES, but that seems like a popular right. option. People, you know, are, I guess, do you feel like in some games you'd rather have the natural, some games you'd rather have the Play Choice 10 mode on? And honestly, I, with mine, I do have one of these with the Switch installed. Mm-hmm. I usually leave it on natural, but I get curious every once in a while when I load a game and I'll just flip through the selections and find one that looks better. It, it doesn't seem to be universal across all games as to which one you would consider best. Gotcha. Um, some some games just have a completely different look, flipping to uh, Play Choice Ten mode or the um, saturated mode. Also, you know, I point you. I'll point people out there to uh, the My Life in Gaming show. Um, they're fans of Back My Play, and their, their YouTube channel is YouTube.com/slash My Life in Gaming. They kind of also talk about the the different. If you want to see like what that looks like when you switch between the the colors of uh, the palettes and stuff like that, um, you give their stuff a look. Awesome videos. Not enough people watch their stuff. Really good stuff. I think I saw their video. Did they release one recently on um, RGB yeah. and the NES? That was really that was really well done. 
Yeah, yeah they, actually, they, they, I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so bummed that more people need to watch their stuff. Like they they do a great job producing that content, and uh, their videos are always great. So yeah, no, I sent them a message a couple of days ago. I was like, "This is you know all, everything you said is accurate, which is good." And uh, I'm going to start sharing that video with uh, some people because they're always asking questions about RGB quality, and mm-hmm. it's difficult to reply with you know all that diverse information. So I'll, I'll probably be using that video a little bit to help help people. Well, I'm going to be real because uh, I've you know I've I've researched a little bit, and I've already talked to Wes. Like I I, I got the AV modded Famicom, but I'm going all in <laughs> with, the, with the RGB modded uh, AV. I'm going to get the RGB mod in one of my AV Famicoms, the, the yeah. newer model, um, which seems to be like the, you know, the, you know, better option, obviously. I, or can you even do it in a, in a regular Famicom? You can, uh, for a long time, it wasn't an option in the original Famicom. It requires an additional adapter board. Okay. It's a really large one. And that's an additional $40, I believe just for that part. Wow. Okay. And uh, it takes a lot more work. I haven't actually installed one yet. Um, I haven't had any requests. I think he's only had this available for maybe two, three months gotcha. um, for the original Famicom. But it's possible. Yeah. But this is probably, um, like we mentioned before, this is probably the biggest request that you're getting, or the biggest thing people are ordering for you in terms of services, getting that RG mod, RGB mod in. And like you even have like a, like a waiting list. There's definitely going to be some lead time for people who are listening now and they might want to jump in. Yeah. You know, lead time, it, it fluctuates depending on the demand, but... Two weeks to four weeks mm-hmm. seems to be the uh, normal wait time. And, uh, yeah, I definitely get a lot of requests. And I've been on Tim's website uh, for a while as a recommended installer for the RGB boards. So I get a lot of traffic through there as well. And you can also, uh, when, when I was kind of putting my order and I didn't really know much about it, so I'm like, Wes, you, you just tell me what makes sense and just put the order together for me because I, 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 I trust there's, you at this point. There's uh, so many options that I'm still trying to weed all that out because mm-hmm. the price fluctuates on what you want to install. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to install the pallet switch. You know, some people do not want the hole drilled in the case. Mm-hmm. They're not concerned with color switching, so I'll set it to natural. Um, but yeah, there's just so many other options and it depends on which console, you know, I would say, you know, like the original Famicom is the most difficult. The modern AV Famicom is one of the easiest ones. Cool. Um, just as a reference there. Um, and you even, I mean, this is something that you do in the, the, uh, AV modded Famicom and I, pod, I'm going to start saying top loader. Oh, I mean, that, that, that still can be confusing because it, it is confusing. I know what you're talking about. So, um, so for the, the one that I already bought from you and that I got the, the AV modded Famicom, uh, you also install a, like a red light switch. So you can oh, actually yeah. tell when the thing is, is, is on because that's, uh, not something that is there's no light at all on either of the Famicoms that came out. Yeah. Almost forgot about that one. Yeah. A lot of those consoles, they, um, didn't have a power indicator or power yeah. light. I don't, I don't know why. I mean, LEDs have always been cheap. I mean, in the eighties, but the Famicom didn't have it. Top loaders, even the AD twin, the, tw- the twin just has yeah. it for the disc reading. That's the only time the light comes on is when it's reading a disc. That's crazy. So yeah, when I installed that one, that was another case of where I didn't want to drill a hole. Mm-hmm. I didn't want it to be, you know, I didn't want it to change the look of the console. So I tried to have it, tried to have it subtle mm-hmm. and under that red switch, so that when you flip it on, it illuminates. And you know, I want it to look somewhat factory. So we're talking, and in, in just to give people kind of an idea of prices, like the the boards are not cheap. Plus, you're obviously you're you're paying for the labor to to get it yeah. all put together. So, um, you know, the price ranges on this stuff is like around two hundred to two fifty, depending on the options that you're looking for. 
Yeah, that's about right. I've had some that have gone higher when Mm -hmm. they want like, you know, multiple multi ports. I've had people ask for a Wii port and an SNES port on uh, a front loader console, and that took a lot of time. Yeah, it was mad. Wait, it was crazy. Wait, hold on, hold on. So, for controllers? Oh no, this was for output. He wanted a Wii output for component, and then he wanted the SNES style port. I got you. Yeah, because the SNES port does not uh, have component. Gotcha. It's possible to do with a Switch in the future and have an IC chip kind of handle that. But for mm-hmm. now, the only way to do that is with two ports. But that's pretty rare. But yeah, 200 to 250 that's about the, the average price gotcha. to have it installed. And it is a tricky install. I've had you know people send them in that they tried it at home. And with, I mean, the most difficult part is desoldering that PPU chip. Mm. That delicate chip has to be removed from the board, and then the RGB board is soldered into place, and the PPU chip is applied to the NES RGB board. Yeah, it's got to be, what is that, like 30 pins or something like that? Uh, 40. Oh, 40, 40 pins. Okay. And it's really easy to damage the pads on that motherboard. Or get, and, sol- or, you know, get solder on a different contact and then you know, yeah, completely fret yeah. the board. So many little things. So it's really easy for newcomers when they're installing that kit They'll get everything installed. You know, they've probably spent, I don't know, a couple days working on this. Mm-hmm. And they do their first test and they have no video or they have glitch video. And normally that means that they've torn a pad, mm, uh, torn a trace, okay. and I'll have to go back and kind of rebuild that and fix it. So they're delicate. Man, these, um, that's, uh, you know, if, you, if you're really thinking about, you know, doing this, uh, you're already kind of in investing in the hardware itself. Just don't, yeah. don't even mess with that stuff. Like it. Just send it out. Uh, get someone Personally, I mean, yeah, that's what I would do. If it was a Game Gear, like we were saying earlier, yeah. hey, it's 10 bucks. knock yourself out. Buy a, <laughs> buy a cheap soldering gun and, you know, mess around. But once you start getting into, you know, a $100 part and a $100 console, yeah. you know, it's, that's a lot of risk. Technically. Uh, there's, I mean, there's stories I can tell you. Like, I've always told the story about just, like, broken, outrun arcade boards and just, like, how hard those are to come by now and... It's a cool machine. So cool machine, terrible boards. Those boards ah. are so fragile, and uh, it's just like whatever those Sega like Model One boards or whatever the hell they were, um, just do not hold up super super well. But um, yeah, like I'm, I'm excited because I'm going to be sending out. I somehow when I was out in Japan, or not when I was out in Japan, I have a buddy that's in Japan who um, I can order stuff off Amazon Japan and send it to him, and then he ships it to me because oh, Amazon great. Japan won't like ship you know, game stuff, the only ship music and movies. Um, so I was able to get like this brand new looking, uh, a- AV Famicom, which is going to be, it's, it's going to be the one for the mod. And, uh, oh, I'm so pumped to, to get it set up. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously maybe, maybe down the road in a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll do a follow up and then we'll talk about that too. And kind of uh, how it looks because I'm, I have a, you know, I have Sony PVM. I have, I somehow just, stumbled across a, a Commodore monitor, which, um, after picking it up, the guy's like, I got 14 emails about this in the last hour. You're lucky you're the first. Yeah. Um, that, that's a cool monitor too. The PVMs are great, but, uh, yeah, I like Commodores as well. I'm, I'm working on uh, Commodore 64s now and I've been keeping my eye out for those little monitors. They're pretty sweet. Oh, they're, they're awesome. They have great speakers. And, um, literally it's just because I'm kind of a snob and right now my, my, the only PVM I have is a 14 inch, uh, and the mm-hmm. Commodore is a 17 inch. So, oh, cool. more playing I didn't, realize, I didn't realize it was that big. Yeah, it's nice, and I think it has the ability for S video. 
it it does, but they split up the uh, the signal into yeah, two like RCA the, inputs. Yeah, it's like the early days of uh, S video. So I don't, I'm not sure if they had the standard for the cable down yet. Well, that's but, uh, I've I've been looking into that, and this I know this is kind of like a side topic, but uh, it is. I mean, if you happen to you know stumble across the 1701 Commodore monitor, um, you may want to hook up something with S video. So I've been looking into creating an S video, like a a female S video input that has connects to RCA through RCA and just splitting the signal. It should be a pretty yeah. easy thing, but it's just figuring out how to ground it and make sure that the signal stays stable. But um, I think you maybe have I'll, to just ground both sides. But Maybe I'll make a prototype and send it to you, see if it works. Yeah, hell yeah. I'll, uh, we'll, we'll make it happen. Um, so obviously, the like I was mentioning before, the, the NES and the Famicom, like those are going to be the big things for you know RGB modding. But um, also, let's talk about the Nintendo 64 because with the N64, you the best that you're going to get out of that thing, out of the box, is S-Video. Um, so... What you know? What's the RGB mod for that? And you know, it, how's you know the picture afterwards? Does it make a real big difference? Is it like a is it a common mod that people like to get? Yeah, N sixty four and also the um, SNES Mini are both kind of in the same camp. It's like it, it had the ability for RGB, but for whatever reason, Nintendo was being cheap again, and they disabled it. Wow, and that's weird. yeah, I do have to install an amp. Like the RGB signal is there, but to make it you know, compatible with all the different setups out there. Mm-hmm. I install this amp to amplify the video signal, clean oh, it up, okay. and uh, usually install C-Sync as well, which is a sync option. Um, if you're a FrameMeister user, you may know mm-hmm. or have heard about some of the sync options out there. So I try to enable C-Sync as well. But a very, very popular console uh, nowadays. It's really I've seen a peak in N64 RGB mods in the last year. I would say. Well, that, I mean, that's this is like the time it came out in what it was in '96. So um, now those people, twenty years later, are starting, or eighteen years later, I guess, yeah, twenty years later, if you know, there are kids growing up, now have the money to uh, go back and pick this stuff up. So now that's yeah, what they're and it's fun. Do. I I like it. I like the uh, N64. I recently gave one to a friend for a birthday present, and she was in her mid twenties, so she was like super stoked to uh, get this cleaned up in 64. Well, that's the thing is you really, you need like six games for it and you're going to have a great time with it. It's like Mario Kart, GoldenEye, you know, maybe Perfect Dark and, you know, they might have the people that are going to want the Super Mario 64s and the, you know, Ocarina of Time kind of set up too. But like I'm looking at my, my shelf and right now I have... I have seven N64 games, and I have no desire to pick up any more. I feel like I got, I got my seven. Yeah, there wasn't, you know, I guess some people would argue, but there's not a huge library of, like, home run games. But the few good ones that they have, man, they're really, they're great. Mario Kart being one of them. That yeah. was, I really got into Mario Kart in the N64 time frame. I mean, I, I like the NES for, SNES version, but... N64 is a whole new ball game. That's that's a debate, man. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm more. Of, I guess I'm more of a graphical guy. I'm more of a 64 guy, but um, and also Star Fox 64, great, great game. Yeah, and multiplayer game too. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm gonna again. I'm I'm, I'm gonna see how much time we have. All right, we got we got some time. All right, so let's talk about. Um, you know, for people that are are listening at home, you you offer you know a you know a bunch of parts for this stuff. What what are the, some of the most common parts that people are buying from you? And I guess what are some of the easier mods that people can can do at home and not worry about you know frying a hundred dollar piece of electronics? Yeah, um, 
There's a few cheap and easy mods you can do at home. I mean, probably, let me think, one of the easiest ones would be like a region mod for uh, Super Nintendo. Um, the only thing that stops that thing from playing Super Famicom games is two little tabs within the cart slot. Right, right. And, you know, you can buy, you know, what I use is micro flush cutters. You can you can look those up on Amazon. It's like $5 for a pair of little metal, metal clippers, and you can use that to remove the tabs. Mm-hmm. Um, you can most often do that without taking off the top shell mm-hmm. and uh, snip those tabs and play all your Super Famicom games. And that's probably one of the cheapest and easy ones, easiest ones there and low risk. Um, and actually, I have a, quite a few others. I, I don't know if you'd call this a mod necessarily, but you also, uh, this is so huge. Like if you are into Game Boy stuff and Game Boy Advance stuff, getting um, like a replaced, replacement screen for those things, because obviously like you really don't care how scratched up the body is like for, for the most part. But if that screen is all scratched up, it's just like a piece of plastic on there, a piece, you know, of whatever. And, um, you know, you offer like what I've ended up picking up for my Game Boy Advance, which is, um, you know, you can even get like glass uh, covers that are much more scratch resistant. Love those. Yeah, I have a lot of screens for pretty much all the consoles I could find. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that makes a huge difference too. And that's pretty simple. Like you don't even have to open the console to do that or the handheld. Just peel um, it off, right? Or you yeah, you can usually it? just kind of get an edge of the window, peel mm-hmm. it off, um, dust it out. You know, you may have dust behind that old window. Try to blow that out if you can. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, pop on the new window, and that makes a huge difference. Like sometimes you don't even realize how scuffed up that window is until you replace it. And uh, yeah, let's let's stick on the Game Boy for a second. Let's talk about uh, you know adding in a backlight or adding in a front light. I guess um, you know what what do you think about that in terms of a mod? Does that seem to be like a pretty good option? You know, what does it do to the battery life? You know, I, I didn't notice a huge uh, drop in battery life when I installed mine, and it makes a huge difference. I mean, it's pretty cool um, to install. It's a backlight, too, so it's it's really nice look on the original Game Boy. Oh, cool, cool. And there's different colors out there, too. Like, mm-hmm. some people opt for red or blue. I tend to be, you know, traditionalist and kind of go for the white. Mm-hmm. And you can even invert the pixels, too. Some people like that. It kind of helps with the clarity. Really? You know, you can, yeah, you can turn the white pixels black and the black pixels white and uh, kind of reverse. And that helps Weird. with contrast. It's like when you install the backlight, you'll kind of notice that the inversion is kind of a nice option mm-hmm. um, with the visibility. But, yeah, that's a popular one, too, is uh, modifying those old Game Boys. And that one's kind of tricky. I mean, you could try that. There's some tutorials online. Mm-hmm. The difficult part with the original Game Boys, you have to peel off that original reflective uh, screen on the Game Boy. And it's, you know, some are easier to get off than others. Sometimes mm-hmm. that glue is rock hard, and then others it's easy to peel off. I broke my first one, as a reference, years ago. I was trying that, yeah. broke the screen, and I was like, oh. And I was like, I'm not trying that again for a while. That was, you know, 10 years ago. Is it, is it possible to, I mean, you have the old uh, DMG models, like the original Game Boy, I guess you call it like Game Boy Fat. Um, is it possible to put those in a Game Boy Pocket, or is there just not enough room in there for it? I believe, I believe the um, the backlights that are on the market are compatible with the Game Boy Pocket. Gotcha. Uh, the Game Boy Color requires a front light, and I've tried a few of the front lights, and I haven't been really happy with them um, because they're just so prone to show dust when it's a front light. And making those old handhelds dust free when you're installing a front light isn't easy. And um, 
there's some new things that are in development out there mm-hmm. with installing front lights. So I'm kind of keeping my eye on that and seeing what happens. And these are LEDs that you're using to to do the lighting, so it's not uh, it's not too much of a drain on the battery. No, not at all. I mean, it it may be let's say a twenty percent drop, but personally, I haven't noticed anything um, as far as battery time change. That's not. I mean, I remember the the old afterburner mods and those things oh, like yeah. killed the batteries by like really you know fifty or sixty percent. So. <laughs> Gotcha. Um, yeah, I, that's not bad. I didn't work with those. I have to check those out. I know, um, like with the game gears, I'm offering LED upgrades with those, and that will actually increase the battery life because uh, the game gears, you know, those are notorious oh, for God. like what thirty minutes. Realistically, is what I got. <laughs> God, I mean, I, 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 had I, would, I would say gener- maybe two hours. Maybe yeah. if you're, you know, on constant playthrough, not turning it on and off and stuff. Yeah, and I have. Um, you know, I've done some tests, and with the LED backlight, you know, I think it's on par with the original Game Boy. Um, I was able to play it throughout the week, and holy crap! Yeah, yeah, because the original Game Gear had like a fluorescent tube, and you can, you know, you can only imagine how much power that used yeah, to power yeah. that thing. So, are you serious? They had LED. a fluorescent tube in your Game Gear? I know. Yeah, fluorescent tube, and I, I think that's what made it so big and bulky too. Was because the the width of that tube, uh, they just had to increase the size of the case. Well, it must, I don't know I mean, what they were thinking. I mean, again, like I, I was mentioning, I got a like an old Game Gear of Craigslist, and also that's the other thing is that the the lighting just looked terrible. Yeah, um, I'm guessing because uh, like it just looked all uneven. So, does the the LED mod help, or is that is it kind of like the same kind of position, or or what? I, I wish it did. I would say that the LED upgrade, the the video quality is equal. Okay. Um, but the power time, the battery life, maximized. Actually, I'm looking. Um, I'm but, looking at a picture on your site right now. It looks a hell of a lot better than the one I picked up. <laughs> yeah, it may be some improvement, but it's not like you know night and day. It's not a huge, huge difference. But as far as battery life goes, that's the advantage of installing it. All right. So yeah, man, I might just. I might. I mean, you have one on there. I might just actually end up buying this Game Gear. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Because, uh, I mean, if, again, if you kind of just like. Um, look at the library for the game gear like there's just some weird ass cool games on it yeah i enjoy it i mean it, it's it's neat um but yeah it definitely needs like to be a little revamped led definitely helps and replacing yeah. the caps geez don't forget that one that's because like i said if you have a game gear and it's working mm-hmm. you're lucky a <laughs> but eventually those capacitors will leak and when it leaks onto the motherboard that can eventually cause corrosion mm-hmm and uh, cause other components to malfunction. It can damage the traces. So it's a good good idea to get it fixed, even if it's working, honestly. Also, what do you, I mean, this might be another, um, you know, I've, I've done this, it didn't look pretty, but I was able to do this on a uh, Adventure Link Cart, um, replacing that CR2032 battery. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that can like lose your save data. So, um, you know, is that something that people can try out too? I think so. Yeah, I actually had that on the list here as far as like things to start on. I mean, you will need, you know, a basic soldering gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also helpful to have what's called a solder sucker. And that will allow you to extract the solder as soon as you heat it up. Mm-hmm. You can uh, extract it into this pin and get it out of the way so that you can release the battery and install the new one. Um, but yeah, that's pretty easy. Just make sure you buy the right battery. Um, I can answer any questions on that. I have tons of batteries in stock, and yeah, that's a pretty easy one to do and necessary because the batteries also in those can leak. Like you never know. Like the the cartridge may be 
saving your games, but it may also be leaking onto the cartridge and it can damage the ROM and then your game's toast. So if you love your game, you might want to buy some game bits and open it up and make sure the battery is not leaking. It's getting to that point, right, where those things yeah. are going to start, uh, you know. It's amazing that they've lasted this long. I mean, there's many I that I open up and they're fine. I'm like, man, that's that's amazing. I have an original Legend of Zelda cart that has the original battery and it still somehow saves. It still works. Cool. And yeah. it's 30 years old. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but that that is a good project to start with is, uh, yeah, battery changes. Um, pretty simple. Um LED changes, that's another one. Like uh, if you want to change your red LED in your Super Nintendo or your NES, um, pretty much all the old LEDs are what's called a 5-millimeter size. Okay. And, you know, if you've got the tools to change a battery in a cartridge, you've got the same tools to replace an LED in most consoles. I mean, you'll have to look online and kind of find some tutorials on how to disassemble the unit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can take the old LED out and plug the new one in. Well, that's basically well, let's, all, all there is. Yeah, let's talk about you know best practices when it comes to taking this stuff apart. What kind of environment should people be in? And um, you know, I guess what should what mistakes should they not make? Or even on top of that, and I'm throwing a lot at you, but you know, no, no. any any mistakes that you made, and you're like, hey, don't do this, don't don't screw this up like I did. You know, when I started getting into this. Um. Yeah. There's a few. You know, everyone makes their mistakes early on. For me. It was uh, just finding out who the good suppliers were for parts. Yeah, you know, totally. You know, don't go for the cheapest parts on eBay. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Mauser is a great uh, website for, you know, trustworthy parts. How do you spell that? Um, let's see here. I want to make sure that I don't. It's M-O-U-S-E-R. Okay. Is that right? I believe so. And, uh, yeah, they're a top quality site, fast shipping based in the U.S., and their prices really aren't that much more expensive. Um, so that, that was some stuff I had to weed through in the early days was finding good suppliers. Mm -hmm. But, uh, as far as setup, you just want to make sure that you have a dedicated, clean work table mm -hmm. and that, you know, you want to make sure you're wearing like seriously some safety glasses when you're snipping stuff, you know, safety glasses cost nothing. Your eyes are important. So, yeah. you know, some safety glasses, a clean work table, and, uh, just make sure you have, you know, a nice block of time set aside, uh, to start on your, on your project. Not all of us can turn into Daredevil when we lose our eyesight. Yeah, right. Unfortunately. Um, nope. Just started watching that. It's real good. Um, yeah, I started. I'm on like episode two, I believe. I just did finish three. And we're not oh, even cool. recording this months ago when it originally came out. We're really late to the party here. <laughs> yeah. I uh, just have it Seems to be good on. so far. Yeah, not bad. Um, so, okay. So I'm, I'm trying to think. All right. We'll, we'll start kind of getting around the uh, towards the end here. But um, also... In terms of like other modifications and stuff out there, um, are there any of like the top of your head that you think you know people should be considering when it comes to just making sure this hardware looks um, you know as good as it possibly can? Yeah, there's and um, sound good too. Yeah, well, even if you're happy with your consoles, let's say that you're happy with RF and you're happy with the way the consoles work and yada yada. I would look into what's called a DJ power strip. These are really cool. It's like a, a standard power strip, except it has a surge protection, and that each plug has a switch. So you can have your you know entire console collection plugged into this power strip and only have the particular console you want to play powered on while it's on this strip. And that'll kind of protect your adapters 
Because even if your adapter is plugged into the wall, it's still receiving power. It's still off-putting heat. Tons and, of, yeah, those things yeah. get super hot. And if you can turn off you know, the power to that, you'll prolong the life of the adapter and uh, less risk for the console, too. And the DJ Power Strips, I mean, they're like 30 bucks. They're on Amazon, and, you, and they have really good reviews. You'll just have to weed through and find the best one. And they kind of look cool, too, depending on your setup. Um, I like those. And outside of that, as far as upgrades, I would get rid of your RF. Even if you think you're happy, I would go online and look at some comparison videos of RF to composite. And uh, that's what I would go for. I don't like RF. Yeah, it looks like garbage. It like, does. Even and if you're hooking like up to a CRT. And I mean, I don't even know if you can even hook that up to an HDTV today. Some you can, some you can. It's uh, slowly being phased out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they did that with S Video too, which is so sad. I think S Video. Mm-hmm. The support for that was dropped in around 2010. Um, Man, S Video is not bad. Like that no, looks not pretty at all. good. I, I love S Video. That's you know next to Component um, for old school resolutions. S Video and Component's great. But uh, like I said, a lot of the modern uh, HD TVs are dropping their S Video support, which is a real shame. So if you find a semi modern TV with S Video, grab it. So uh, maybe another thing that's worth talking about is if, you know, people haven't picked up uh, a CRT yet, they might still, you know, want to get, you know, some some mods done. They might want to get some upgrades, but, you know, still want to hook it up to uh, a CRT. Is there anything that you recommend in terms of like brands and stuff like that? I know you mentioned the the PVMs before. Yeah, PVMs are great, but they do kind of come at a premium and they're hard to find. And if you do find them, you normally have to have them shipped. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to find a 20 inch years ago and I had it shipped here from like, you know, halfway across the country. And I'm amazed that it made it here not being broken. Literally, but, uh, I, I bought one on eBay, did not make it here. Uh, like it, it got busted and the guy was a huge pain in the ass. So just oh, be careful about buying stuff and having it shipped. Yeah. Cause he the wrapped PVMs, it up in newspaper in a uh, loose box. That's crazy. And was, you know, and obviously it was dented and didn't turn on. Oh, That's a man. shame, but yeah, they're they're extremely heavy. They're heavier than the average size CRT of the same size, probably double. I think my twenty inch is probably around a hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. But um, if you just want to get a standard CRT, which there are a dime a dozen nowadays, mm-hmm. I would try to look for Sony Trinitrons. Okay, those are the flat CRTs, um, and you can usually still find those out there. So Sony Trinitrons. Um, there were some RCA true flats that were like a Trinitron, uh, clone. Those are great as well. But if you have the ability to test them first with your console, (laughs) I would do that because I did go through a few CRTs back in the day. And these were like the CRTs on the cusp of the flat screen revolution. And they wouldn't accept the low quality 240p signal. Uh, from the NES, it would it would show up for a second and then go to blue screen and say incompatible signal or something like that. So you know if you have the ability, try to test that you know more modern CRT before you buy it or drag it on. Totally. Um, all right. Well, this is what we're going to do. This is going to be kind of like an intro, um, you know, for for all this stuff to to the audience out there. And sure. um, you know what you can do is one, you can start sending uh, more questions to myself at. Uh, either through the website or on Twitter uh, at Kevin Larrabee. And, um, you know, make sure that you're checking out Wes's website and, and peruse around. I'm guessing from the show there might be, um, you know, an, 
increase in, in people buying stuff on there. So if you see something that you like, you might want to pick it up uh, quickly. Um, and I can yeah. kind of give you my, like I said, my review before, um, just like the, everything just looks fantastic uh, in terms of like the craftsmanship and just the, the console comes to you incredibly well packed. It, it is priority shipping. It got to me like literally two days later. Um, yeah. So you're going to get the stuff, you know, fast if it's in stock and um, just, uh, you know, just really great. I, I can't say, you know, more great things about it and just uh, thank you. make sure. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're, this is like important stuff, especially if it's like your, you know, your NES or your, you know, Super Nintendo or your N64 from your childhood, you don't want to like break that. Absolutely. And, and everything that comes in, like pretty much all the incoming mail, I have a f- facility handle all my incoming mail. So mm-hmm. nothing is left on a porch. Nothing is left unintended. Perfect. Um, because yeah, because a lot of these consoles are cherished childhood, you know, units and, yeah. you know, trying to protect those and, and upgrade them. So check out, uh, retrofixes.com at retrofixes on, uh, Twitter. And, um, like I said before, we'll kind of just, you know, use this as an intro and I apologize. I know like we went all over the place, but it's like, I want, I like, there's so many things I want to talk about and like try to get into all this stuff. I wanted to touch in as much as humanly possible. So, um, you know, we'll start there and you can get some ideas floating. And now, you know, hopefully for some of you out there, you know, this stuff exists now. Like it is like, you know, the possibility to get like RGB quality video out of your NES or your, your Famicom, um, which, seems kind of unbelievable but um give it a look and uh like i said you can start submitting in questions either either way and um i hope you know this is my plug where i always gonna say if you enjoy the show uh go to patreon.com slash back in my play i appreciate all the support people uh give me to make sure i can keep making these shows that hopefully you like listening to since you downloaded it um but yeah wes i don't know if there's there's anything else that we should mention um you know i would just say that if you're shopping around for someone to mod your console, just do your research because, like I said, I've received a few in the past that were modded by, you know, who knows who. And they did really poor work. And, you mm-hmm. know, if you love your console, just make sure that you're getting it repaired from a, you know, reputable individual. Well, I, I can point you right to there was a thread on NeoGAF and the Famicom NES thread. Look at, you know, the, the work that someone did to someone's Famicom, like literally melted it. From, uh, from you know the yes. work that they did in it so i think i saw that too disgusting yeah, yeah i i uh, that, that, that's what i try to avoid all this stuff is like the opposite of my uh of my system here so yeah well that's what that's what i was saying you gotta like go to someone that has a good reputation because right. it's not like what are you gonna call the cops <laughs> like you can't like yeah. you can't and even if you like you go through paypal if it's not like an ebay auction where you bought the stuff through them you, mm-hmm. you can't really do anything about it you're sending your stuff and trusting that they're gonna you know, do good work, uh, and get it back to you in a timely fashion. Um, go to a good seller, go to a good, uh, you know, person that's going to do this stuff for you. So, uh, yeah, like I said, retrofixes.com and and all that other stuff. Um, get in the questions. If you have questions about, you know, problems with your hardware, like modifications that you have questions about, um, I'll get Wes back on the show and we can talk more, uh, about this down the road. So absolutely. uh, Yeah. Wes, thank you so much for, for taking the time to do this. Like this is super fascinating to me because yeah, I love the old stuff, but I want it to look and sound as good as humanly possible. Yeah, and there's just so much going on. There's so much to cover, and there's also you know a lot of new stuff being developed as yeah. we speak. And it's a huge community. Like I'm so surprised how great the the modding community is and how authentic they still want to keep the experience while you know just maximizing what was in the box in the first place. 
Yeah, there's some good guys out there, and I, you know, I work with them all. I was testing um, some new prototypes last week. I put a YouTube video up of that, and uh, he's he's making 3D printed parts for the top loader. And uh, yeah, it's just cool stuff coming out all the time now, and I, and I love it. It's great watching oh, it develop. What's the uh, What's the YouTube channel? Um, just so people can can check those out, because you also like talk oh, yeah. through what you do with the mods and things like that. Yeah, I, uh, my username is Retrofixes, just like the website, Perfect. and there's probably about ten videos that have been posted in the last month or so, all new, and it just kind of goes over the basics of what I do on each particular console. Um, and I also have a console on there that was modded by some. I don't know. Guy had a lot of hot glue going on there. <laughs> so I was trying to show what a bad mod looks like and to watch out for that. So that's pretty entertaining. And the prototype for the top loader is there too. Pretty neat. Awesome. Very good. Um, well, that's going to do it for, for this episode. Um, the next episode, I believe, is going to be talking about the music of Gimmick with uh, Mohammed from Brave Wave. So we're going to be talking about the Sunsoft uh, output in terms of what they did for music on the NES and Famicom and focusing on a gimmick. And then after that, we're going to have uh, Peter Brown and Kurt Galata come on to talk about, you know, the gameplay of gimmick in the game itself. Um, Also, check out if you haven't uh, from I don't know if I talked about this on the show or not, but uh, Kurt Galata had a great uh, piece on gimmick on HardcoreGaming101.com. Uh, go check that out if you haven't already, just so you can get brushed up and maybe even take a look at the game. Go watch uh, Frank Cifaldi's video that he did on on YouTube, the walkthrough, uh, the pop-up video thing that he did. Um, also, so you can be prepared. Otherwise, you're spending $250 on this. It might be worth 250 It's a really good game, but uh, it's, also, it it's also $250 for a 25-year-old video game. I know. It's nuts, but... We love them. <laughs> I know that's the problem is we love them. Um, we, we love these old games. All right, folks. So thanks for listening. Here's uh, you know some music to, to take out, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers.